How do we get into the kingdom of heaven? Does helping others qualify us? Is being a good person good enough? Join us in the second part of our series, What Do You Believe? So many of us grew up thinking that we had to do something, that we had to work harder, that we had to get our lives right. I talked to someone just here a while back, and he said, Preacher, I'm going to come to your church just as soon as I get my life right. I was like, why don't you come to church and learn how to get your life right? See, being part of being made a disciple, actually being made a disciple, I hope you understand this, Jesus commands us not just to get them saved, all right? We're going to talk about salvation some today. But he tells us to make disciples, and to be made a disciple means that it's a process. So you come here, you meet the great physician, and he begins to work on you and show you principles, gives you life skills to go out and be successful with. And we all the time see Christians living their life as though they're defeated. Matter of fact, I'm not so for sure. I would say that's on a scale somewhere around 50-50. Um, really, honestly, I mean, where you'll get around Christians and they seem just as beat up as the rest of the people in the world. And this is what it tells me. They're Christians, but they've not been uh, made a disciple. And sometimes that's, that's two ways. Sometimes the church doesn't teach on what it is to be a disciple, doesn't talk about these lifestyle characteristics, these transformative moments that take us on to um, greater things, greater endeavors, deeper waters, as we sung about this morning with Jesus. Sometimes the church is responsible for that, and they don't uphold that duty. We just try to get a great sermon together and knock it out of the park, if you will all right but then there's also the responsibility of you of me there's a responsibility to submit ourselves to the teaching and authority of jesus christ and if we refuse to do that then what are we in it for we're in it just for ourselves basically hopefully we slide in by the skin of our teeth because we said the prayer and we have the belief in our heart but our life doesn't represent anything more than just another human being occupying space on this world you see, it's, it's dangerous, and we've got to find a place in our hearts to learn what it is to be made a disciple, to learn what it is to grow up. So when we talk about what do you believe, today I'm going to really go at you with some things that possibly you've been snowed under with. Maybe you've been brought up, you know, there is a resentment towards the church today. If you don't know this, just watch the news. Um, it's amazing to me that there's so much resentment towards Christians today. There's so much resentment about our history and our heritage and how the United States was even birthed or made. There's so much resentment out there over what we possibly should be or possibly could be had we just gone a different direction, that Christianity is responsible for, um, for all of the hindrances in America today. It seems like they're always pointing fingers at us. There's just this, this thing that's going on, and it's a spirit, and it's a difficult spirit, and we're facing it every day. Sometimes it's stronger with each passing day. Well, what's going on? Well, I'll tell you what's going on is, is people don't understand the true freedom in Jesus Christ, and they've not taken time to be made disciples, and what they see are a bunch of people trying to follow a bunch of rules, and that's not what Christianity is. I, I, I wish we could, we could teach the world truly what Jesus came for. 
And that's our job. And so as we talk about discipleship today, as we talk about what do you believe, remember, what you believe impacts um, your worldview. And so it's going to be very important for us to nail some things down today. Last week, I talked about a transformational moment. I know you've probably had those transformational moments, right? You've, you probably went to camp and heard the car wreck story. And then immediately after that, they said, um, now, do you believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Because if you don't, you're bound for hell, right? And then after you came to that salvinic point in your life, then you may have been so excited and so, so excited and so jubilant. And then you come home from camp and you sin again. And you go, well, I just got kicked out. Darn, I lasted about two hours after I got home, right? And it's so performance-based. That's, that's how we've been taught. And so you had that transformational moment. Here's what I want you to, to know this morning. When you receive Jesus as your personal Savior, let that be your transformational moment for sure. Let that seal the deal. Now, what about your behavior modification? Well, the more Christ grows in you, the more it impacts who we are and what we do on the outside. Okay, so that's just the way it works. So we'll talk about these things. But transformational moments happen. Last week, I told you this one, that you tell your children, um, all day, hey, don't touch that, it's hot. And what do they find out? They touch it, and it becomes a transformational moment in their life, right? I also said this, reading while you sunbathe makes you well-read. And y'all kind of booed me out of here. I thought it was funny when I read it. Okay, and I'm going to keep doing the same thing and expect different results. This is where a lot of us live. I'm going to keep doing the same thing, expecting different results, and we're never transformed. That's the definition of insanity. We don't need that definition going on in our lives, Right? So here's what I want to say. In fact, one of the main reasons people dismiss God's truth is that it's simply too painful or inconvenient to acknowledge it, which is so radical to me. That's what I hear. It's so painful. It's so difficult. What's so difficult to receive? I guarantee you on your birthday, you don't have a problem or didn't when you were 10 years old, right? And so it shouldn't be hard for us to receive these, these things, but Oftentimes we do. We push it aside in favor of our own desires or passions of our heart. So we say, look, if I let God get too involved, he's going to take over and I'm not, no longer going to get to do the things that I want to do. Let me tell you something about you. Fulfillment will never happen in you, with you, if it's just you. It will not happen. Fulfillment comes from the one who created you to be conformed into his image and his desire is always for you to come back into that image of who you were created to be. Now, that's where fulfillment comes. I tried living life several different ways, sometimes still do, and thinking, hey, fulfillment comes from this or that or this or that, and I love to hunt. My passion um, will take me out into the field, and I, I'm pretty, I'm okay with myself for a while. We don't fight much, okay? But the, the truth is that may not be where God has me for that time for that place or in that season of my life and where I think fulfillment's going to come is truly when I find my fulfillment in my maker. So remember every distortion about God there is a corresponding consequence. Last week I talked to you about um, John chapter 8 and where Jesus says then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him if you abide in my word you are my disciples indeed. And I talked about the word abide means to hold remain to live in or to dwell in to basically live there. And I told you about my little story growing up that I just, I, I loved my house till I was old enough to know better. I, I can't even tell you another story this morning that I tried to run away when I was about five. I mean, I packed my suitcases. I was gone. And uh, 
my brother, as I walked out the door, said, you know, there's coyotes out there. I've never forgot it, you know, and, and, and it was hilarious. And so, and, and then for months, I couldn't find my pajamas. I know this is crazy, but I still remember this like it was yesterday. I could not find my pajamas. You know where they were? I packed them because I was running away. I never opened that suitcase for like six months later. And Oh, there they are. You know, and they were my good ones, you know, with the footies and everything. Anyway, <laughs> to abide is where we live. It's not always comfortable to live because usually there's parameters, there's discipline, there's things that have to take place, but there's love. There's an overall abounding love that is there, right? And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. This week I was reading, putting another message together, working on some things upcoming. And um, I looked at 1 Peter 2, 9. This is what it says. It says, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, speaking of us, God's special possession. Isn't that cool to know that you are, as believers in Jesus Christ, God's special possession? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into the marvelous light. We've been talking about coming out of darkness and into light. And we're going to share a little bit more about that with you this morning. So let's talk about Nicodemus, because Nicodemus was really a middleman. If you go and you study Nicodemus, you will find these things out about Nicodemus that he was somewhat caught in the middle. And I'll explain some things about him here in just a moment, but let's talk about what the scripture says. All right, and this comes from John chapter 3, starting with verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now when you look at this man, He's, he's a man who's in the middle. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't know if you've ever been put in the middle. It's not a, a lot of fun usually to be a middleman. All right? You're talking on this end to somebody, and sometimes you're representing this person over here, and then to this person you're trying to represent this person, and you're torn between the two. And I don't know if you've ever been caught in the middle, but this is Nicodemus. Let me kind of share with you who he was. He was a religious leader connected to the religious community of Israel. All right? So here he is. And he is a Pharisee, and he's connected. He's the upper echelon in this Pharisaical bunch. And so uh, with that, though, he's also hired by the Romans who were in charge of this area, and the Romans expected Nicodemus to keep peace with the Jews. And what he did is he kind of ruled the Jews to make sure everybody was getting along, and he had a tough job there too because there were these people known as Sadducees who were in that area as well, who were religious scribes, who were the conservatives for a political statement about them. They were the conservatives. They, they just lived by the Torah. I mean, that's who they were. And uh, they didn't really believe in revelation or things like that. So here's Nicodemus. He's kind of in the middle between all these things that are swinging around him. And he's called to keep peace. And as long as he keeps peace, guess what? He makes some of that. Johnny football. <laughs> Y'all don't even, Okay. So um, here we go. So Nicodemus's job was to keep the people of Rome happy with, the pal with Palestine and the people of Palestine happy with Rome, basically. And as long as he did, did well, then the Roman government would pay him extremely well. He had a lot to lose by allowing political unrest created by some young upstart like Jesus. You understand that when people would, would, would rise up when these guys would try to get followings, that he had to snuff that out pretty quick. Well, here's one that's come along, and he's doing real miracles. He's raising people from the dead. He's casting out demons into swine. He's, he's got a lot of things that are, that are going on. And Nicodemus is like, oh, my goodness, isn't it just like somebody else that's come along the way trying to create a new way? And this guy is incredible. There's something special 
about this man. If only I could meet, if only I could know this man. So here's Nicodemus. He's caught in the middle because in reality, if the Romans see him speaking with Jesus, that could be a huge problem because they know Jesus is in that area as well. I mean, come on, when somebody's raising people from the dead, you tend to take notice. And that's kind of what's taking place here. At the same time, the religious people are going, hey, he better not follow that man, Jesus. He's called to be our leader. He, he better not be paying attention. So you can imagine where Nicodemus is here, all right? And yet we will see his spiritual insight or perhaps his thirst compelled him to seek out Jesus. Now, he couldn't do it in the traditional way, but let's go on. Verse two, verse 2, this is what it says. This man came to Jesus by night. You understand why he came by night? So that no one would see, all right? He came by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher that has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So he immediately corresponds with him this way. He, he just basically says, Rabbi, which means teacher. It actually means father. In other words, you have something to share with me. You have something to impart with me. And that's a term of respect. He was saying, after I've heard what you have said, you have insight from God. I can see that. And based on the signs and wonders alone, I know that you are from God. So he honors and he makes note of Jesus' importance. What Nicodemus believes is not at odds with the present-day American culture. You understand this? Which also believes that Jesus was a good man. They'll talk to you all day about his wisdom. They'll talk to you all day about his love. But if you put the term or word God to him, you better look out. Because more than likely, fire's coming. I have a friend of mine that preaches all over the United States, and one of the things he says is, People will talk to you and speak to you about God all day long, but the minute you put a name to him, the conversation's over, which is crazy to me. Why would you not want to know the God of the universe, much less his love embodied in one person? Go figure, right? So the reason that Nicodemus was visiting Jesus was to get some answers to some very important questions. Questions that many of the rulers of the Jews had already asked. When is God going to show up in power and reestablish his rule and reign through this nation called Israel? So they were already asking that question. When is God coming in all of his power so that we can defeat the Romans and we can take over the world? That we can live victoriously like we used to do? We ask that question sometimes today, right? When is Jesus coming back? When are we going to see that sword in his mouth that cuts to the very marrow of mankind? They remember the times of David and Israel when they were the superpower in the world. And this is what they were always looking for. They were looking for that superpower status and the man for the job would be the Messiah to come. Nicodemus was looking for some insight. He didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He did, though, believe that Jesus was from God. Now, Jesus is going to help him out here, okay? You're here about the kingdom and know this and know this. Know, know that no one else, no one else is here with me. I came to you in the night is the way Nicodemus is seeing it. All right? And he wants to speak to Jesus about the kingdom. And Jesus immediately jumps in there and starts speaking about being born again, being born from above. In other words, he says, hey, I'm going to put some sunglasses on you so that you can see the marvelous light. Now, remember, when light shed on the darkness, many times if we've stayed a long time in the darkness and you walk out in the light, we're blinded. And so a lot of us will retreat back to what we know. 
We'll go back to doing the things that we used to do because it's what's familiar to us. And it's the same thing here. He's about to be exposed to some way, and what he needs to do is just stay in that light until his eyes can adjust and see the truth for himself. So here he goes. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So the obvious, surely, Jesus, you can't be born again. Again, that's just not possible, is it? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Because you must be born from above is where Jesus is going with this. Verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Man, that's the truth. I'm just going to stop there. I might just camp on that one. Because sometimes I thought it was me. That I just grow restless. Do you guys ever do that? What? Y'all looking at me like I'm crazy, and maybe I am. But I know this, you know, I, I, I seem like I can never get settled. There's just always something more. There's a drive. There's a push. There's, a, there's something else around the corner. I was even that way kind of as a small kid. I would go out into the fields, and I would see a tree like three miles away. But it was the only tree. So I'd get on my three-wheeler, and I would go to that tree. And I would get there and think, man, this is an awesome place. And I'd see a stack of bones over there, and I would go to that stack of bones where cows had been drugged or died or whatever, right? And it was just always this adventure. And even today, I'm, I'm a lot that way. I mean, I've, I've served in Sierra Vista, Arizona, and then Canyon, Texas, and then from Canyon, Texas to Happy, Texas. And then I said I'd never go south of Happy. You could send me as north as Canada, Alaska. I don't care. I'm a cold-weather guy. And they said, I said I'd never serve in Lubbock. And I wound up being a pastor in Lubbock, um, then coming up here to plant a church, which I said, I never plant a church. See, when the Spirit leads, we don't know. I think it just kind of keeps us that way. And, and he says, hey, you know, this, this world, we're here for a purpose. And I called you for this purpose, but really my fulfillment comes from what I do right here. Not serving myself, but serving others. And this is where Jesus is taking Nicodemus. Hey, the Spirit's going to blow, Right? That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? So he's saying, hey, look, do you, you, you have an incredible position. You're like the highest of the high ranking here. You rub shoulders with some big dudes in the Sanhedrin, if you will, all right? You're, you're, you're a, a, a different kind of cat, and yet you don't understand these things? I mean, you're even a Pharisee. Pharisees believe in, in um, the afterlife, where the Sadducees really didn't, all right? So, so you're a guy that believes in, in, um, in God and understanding that there are greater things yet to see. So why don't you understand this? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? In other words, look, you've seen me do all kinds of stuff. You've heard about them. 
You've seen it, but look, you're going to have to understand some spiritual things here. Jesus says, come on, Nicodemus, you of all people should know that the kingdom is not a physical realm, but a spiritual one. Now, here's the not quite so obvious problem of having a new birth line. All right, these guys like Nick, all right, were descendants of Abraham and therefore the in crowd and those who were not were chopped liver. And this was huge to Nicodemus. You understand that? The Nicodemus has been born into a pretty good spot here. So everybody else was just not going to get it. Everybody outside of them was outside the kingdom. The Romans were just a bunch of stinking Gentiles from their perspective. Jesus, who is Jewish by natural birth, says to Nicodemus, being born into the right crowd and related to the right person is not enough. And you, Nicodemus, in order to even see, much less enter God's kingdom, must be born again from above. At this point, if I were Nicodemus, I would have most likely made my apologies and vacated the premises and said, see, you got to go. But he didn't. He stayed and let the light shine. He let the light shine. Right? Remember, for every distortion about God, there's a corresponding consequence. See, Nicodemus believed, like most people in America believe, that good people do, who do good things get the kingdom. And they get to go to heaven. So here we are on these scales, on these, this balance, this measurement device, right? And, and you've probably seen the scales. I wish I would have had a pair of scales here, not the ones that weigh me, because they lie. And the truth is not in them, all right? It's got to be that way. And yet, at the same time, you've seen the scales. And so if you have good deeds on this side and bad deeds on this side, and you don't have a fulcrum to move necessarily other than weights, what happens? It, it just goes to whichever one's doing the best. And I've run my life that way. And that's a terrible race to be in, right? It's a race of worry. It's a race of never measuring up. It's a race that, hey, I can't share the gospel. I'm not good enough to share the gospel. I can't love someone. I can't invite someone to church because they see I live my life. You see, and we get over here on, I'm just not good enough. And let me tell you something, that's a sense of pride, church, because it's all about you. You think it's humility. You think it's walking around like, oh, man, poor, pitiful me, I'm just not worthy. Well, somebody put their hand on you when you accepted their kingdom, when you were born again and said, no, you are worthy, you're a child of the living God. And this is what you're called to do. So pride can look just the opposite of humility of course in in many settings but i want you to see in the christian setting this is where i see our hang-up is we walk around with our heads down saying i'm not worthy i'm not worthy and you've put yourself back on the scales when you were delivered from those see nicodemus believed his cause was lost or gained by what he did or didn't do many of us feel that way he was beginning to understand that his system the scale system wasn't what Jesus was talking about. He stayed long enough to hear more. In fact, Jesus wasn't talking about doing more. He was talking about something entirely different. That the kingdom wasn't about being good enough or related to the right people in order to go to heaven. The reason, once again, that Nicodemus said, how can this be? Because what Jesus was saying was so entirely different than what, Je than what Nicodemus had believed. Jesus, once again, was clear to all of us that to enter and see this kingdom, we must be born from above. So verse 13 says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And you can go back and read that story, right? I, I don't know where it is. 
It's in the Bible. I think it's Numbers 18 somewhere. You look it. Because <laughs> I don't right now. I should have put that in there. I'll do it for the second service. All right. So here we go. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent, remember he lifted that serpent up so those who would look upon it would be healed. Jesus now connects with Nicodemus in a major way. He reminds him of an Old Testament story. You know, if you ever go into the Middle East or Middle Eastern cultures and um, you're speaking to um, Islam or people of Islam, one of the ways to connect really is to bring up the Old Testament. Start Numbers 21, what did I say? Oh, okay, it's in there somewhere, I told you. 18, 24, 21, try that one. So, um, so, so here we go, you know, and, and this is a pretty incredible thing that, that um, he's making a connection with Nicodemus. He's saying, Nicodemus, I know this. I know what you've come from, and there's going to be one that's lifted up that you can look on and be healed. I'm going to complete the story. See, he begins singing his song. He's telling him the story. So must the Son of Man be lifted up, right? Verse 15, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. The days of the scale are over. Actually, the scale never worked anyway. Nicodemus, if you think I am from God, then focus right here on me. The one who looks on and believes in Jesus gains eternal life. The one who looks upon me will gain eternal life. You can go on and read John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. How about this? Read verse 17 and 18. If you want to see the scales completely thrown out. Read those. Right? And so here we go. Nicodemus, pay attention to who and what is sitting in front of you. Because you have a chance. You have a chance today. I love it where the scripture says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. You'll never be good enough. But I'm going to take care of that for you. So here's the message of Jesus. It's not good people that go to heaven. It's forgiven people who go to heaven. You understand that? There's a lot of good and bad people going to hell. What a terrible thing to say. It hurts my heart to even say that statement. That there are a lot of good and bad people bound for hell. And we may be looking for God's mercy. But it's already been given in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. It's forgiven people who go to heaven. It's not good people that get to enter into the kingdom. It's forgiven people who see, who come to the light and enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, Peter had it right when he threw up his hands and he said, Lord, save me. The thief on the cross had it right when he said, Lord, remember me. Stephen had it right when he looked up and it says the heavens split and he saw one standing and he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So how's your story going to end? This is your life. It's actually God's life. It's a gift to you, right? But here's the cool thing. You have an opportunity to write its ending. Will the work be in your hands or is it going to be in his? Ask yourself some difficult questions this morning as we prepare our hearts to take communion. Do you believe? What do you believe? You see, when Jesus hung on the cross and he says, it is finished, I've used this term many times to tell us that many of y'all use it back with me. He simply said, this cannot be added to, it cannot be taken away from. 
It's done. It's over. So what is your job? Well, Jesus tells Nicodemus, just as you were taught to focus on Moses as he was lifted up, you need to look at me as I'm lifted up and know that it is done. The work is over. Now trust me. Believe in me. And, you know, years ago, I had a, a young man who, um, I, I was taking the youth on a camp out. Man, I was young. I was, I was in the service, and um, I, I had all my, my military ruck on, my boots and everything else, and I came up with this, this crazy idea because I had saved like 70 or 80 MREs. Any of you, that's a meal ready to eat. Little package meals have like 3,000 calories. I mean, you can't eat. They give you three for the day when you're in the field, but they'll plug you up. So you learn real quick in the military to just eat one and just put the other two away. So I had, um, <laughs> I had a pickup that had a great big toolbox, and I just throw the extra ones in that toolbox all the time. To where I had so many of them, I told the youth group, hey, I'm going to take you on this particular weekend. We get Monday off, and I'm going to take you through Exploration Triple Peak. And we're going to hit the three highest peaks in Arizona. So if you can make it, make it. And if you can't, don't go. All right, you need to be in some kind of shape because we had to clear it with the ranger station to make certain. We didn't have cell phones back in the day, you know, so we had to make these certain points and call into the ranger station to tell them where our group was. So we wound up taking 12 or 13 kids, and I had them all just disperse the MREs to each one and told them, be cautious with these, right? But that was the food that we took, so we all had these rucksacks and everything. The very first night, I give a short message, and we're sitting around a campfire. I never had this happen to me before, but a young man named Mitch He just looked across the fire at me. And he asked that question. Curtis, what do I need to do to be saved? And I tell you what, I was so scared and nervous. I wasn't a ball back baby back then. I still had enough testosterone to keep me going. <laughs> but I, I sat there and I listened to what he had to say. And I said, well, tell me who Jesus is. And he said, well, I've just watched y'all and Y'all have embraced us, embraced me for the last three or four weeks. I've never gone to church. You know, he starts telling me his story. And he was on that hike, and he was in shape. He was probably 16 or 17 years old. Uh, man, he would pack up, make the next marker first, come back and help other people with their packs and get them up there. And I was so impressed with this young man. But you know what? With all of his good deeds, had he died, it wasn't enough. And I loved Mitch. I thought he was a Christian. And he said, I've never accepted Jesus in my heart. I don't even know what to do. And my, a guy that I was at camp, <laughs> his name was Gordo. And it wasn't this Bible, but he had written down the way to salvation, the road to salvation. And he had put it in my Bible. So I had no idea how to lead somebody to Jesus. So I said, well, Mitch, I've got this list here that this guy gave me. Let's go through these scriptures and see where we are at the end of it. And that was the first night, and I remember... I'm reading to Mitch and um, him accepting Jesus, and it just blessed my heart. Because as good of a young man as what he was, he wasn't a forgiven man yet. But when he saw Jesus lifted up, then he took him and he believed him. And this was Nicodemus. By the way, if you want to know how Nicodemus' story ends, um, continue to read John. But he became a defender of Christ. And he was also one that went and took his body for burial. So obviously he made a public profession because he went and did it in front of people the next time around. That's what God wants for us. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior,
then meet him today. Meet him today.